0: Welcome to episode four of the misaligned podcast. Unfortunately, Caitlin could not join us tonight. So it will just be myself and Ashley. Hello. And we have quite a bit to discuss still. We're trying out a bit of a different format tonight. So we're going to go ahead and start off with some news for uh, some upcoming tours. Ashley, do you have any that you would like to talk about? I want to talk about Modern Baseball. Not just because
1: I love Modern Baseball, and I hope lots of you do too, but they announced a super awesome, awesome, awesome tour that I cannot wait for. It's with Jeff Rosenstock, Pup, and Tiny Moving Parts. Thankfully, it's going to come to California, which is really exciting for me because I keep looking for California dates on tour posters now, and it still hasn't hit me that, like, I've moved. But anyway, so when they announced this tour, they had... When you ordered the ticket, you got a, it got an exclusive download of a new Modern Baseball song, which I thought was really smart for all those people who were like, I don't know if I want to buy tickets to this yet. It kind of was that extra little nudge to buy tickets, which I thought was really smart. And they just made the song available. Um, uh, what's it called? The Revenge of the Nameless Ranger. That's what it's called. So you can download that
0: on their band camp. Yes, free download. Yes, a free download. Free music is always great.
1: It's my favorite price, free.
0: Definitely, and there are a couple other tours coming through, especially the L.A. area. Uh, The Wonder Years and Motion City Soundtrack are touring together, which some people thought that was sort of a weird fit, but in a way it kind of makes sense because you'll get the two different kinds of pop-punk fans, essentially. You'll get all the ones who have been following Motion City Soundtrack for their pretty long career, and the Wonder Years, while they've had a much shorter career, they still have a huge following, and I think it'll be great to have fans of both bands come together for this tour. I love it when those two kind of, I don't want to say questionable
1: pairings, but the pairings that you wouldn't quite expect, the unexpected pairings, I guess, of right. um, bands come together for a tour like this. I also think that it's a really, really great fit considering The Wonder Years' most recent album because that album was so, like, emotionally heavy for me. It was just the fact that that's the same band who wrote, uh, what is it, Keystone State Dude Corps, the fact that this is the same band, it just blows my mind. But I think they're both on, like, a similar level. I think the fans will meld nicely. I think the
0: sounds meld nicely. I think it's going to be a really cool tour. Definitely, and uh, Frank tu- Frank Turner is also on tour, and I've been a pretty big fan of his for a few years now, and I regretfully did not go see him when he was performing in Philadelphia because it was like 20 degrees out, and I didn't want to walk to the venue in oh, that cold of the weather. <laughs>
1: that constant regret is the worst, though. Oh, man. Yeah, I so I,
0: I am hoping I will get to see him this time around if I don't forget before tickets sell out because they probably will they probably will yes and then are you a fan of Have Mercy I am a fan of Have Mercy they're coming through LA I believe it is in
1: November yeah it's the week before my birthday so I'm like I'm pretty sure that's a Saturday as well The seventh. yes they're Um, playing at the Roxy and
0: I'm Hopefully going to go to that as well.
1: <laughs> I absolutely need to see them. I'm so excited. I think the fact that they're headlining over transit kind of like, I don't want to say it blows my mind because it's not like the end of the world. I think it's just, wow. I'm really excited to see Somo's again, though. I saw them with Modern Baseball in like December. And at the end of the set, their singer is like, sorry, I said it's so terrible, guys. I'm really sick. You know, it's really
0: cold out. I'm like, you
1: sound... Perfect! Don't apologize. I never would have known.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen Somos or Microwave yet, and I've heard both bands are fantastic live. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, it's going to be such a tour. Well, I will clearly see you there, hopefully. Yes! It'll be a party. And I think that about covers it for the tours we wanted to talk about. There are a bunch of upcoming releases this Friday that we're pretty excited about. Some I didn't even know about. It's like some Same. bands are keeping them under wraps so well that I'm like, wait, you guys have an album coming out?
1: <laughs> yeah, the, um, a couple new Front Bottoms tracks appeared in my Spotify uh, Discover playlist, and I was like, oh, what's this? It sounds like the Front Bottoms. Oh, it's new. Oh, okay. It was like a really nice surprise. But I feel like I was, I was like, oh, I, I had no idea, which is kind of silly. I'm sorry, Front Bottoms. I love you.
0: Yeah, and Motion City Soundtrack has their new album Panic Station streaming over at Pandora right now, which I've yet to listen to, but I've heard that the album as a whole ends up being better than the singles they released, because I know they've released at least two or three songs so far before they stream the album.
1: It's always a nice like twist when that happens, where it's like, oh, the singles weren't that great, but the album
0: as a whole stands up well. It's like, yeah. everything went better than I expected. I don't think there's been a Motion City soundtrack album that I haven't at least somewhat enjoyed. <laughs> like, Go, I think, was their last album. And it was not as good as some of their previous albums, but it was still enjoyable. Like, Motion City soundtrack knows how to write catchy songs. They do. So that's really not something you ever need to worry about with them. <laughs> and then Lydia has Run Wild coming out this Friday, and they're kind of a, a more mellow band most of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but- I haven't listened to
1: Lydia in years. I remember they like they were a band, and then they weren't a band, and then they like did a reunion show, but they had never technically broken up. I don't know. I just remember they had a big show in Poughkeepsie, and a lot of my friends were like, chomping at the bit to go and i was like oh that's cool
0: yeah and didn't they just go out with the early november when they were mm-hmm. headlining yes yeah. they did i went to that show down at the troubadour and it was very good those bands do not disappoint when you see them live
1: <laughs> uh, always good to hear the worst is being like oh yeah i went to see this band and they were just sad and disappointing it's like really upsetting
0: yeah, I'm pretty excited for the Front Bottoms release, too, that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, what was their last release? Was it that Rose EP or something? I think it was, yeah, yeah. Because
1: they they had Talent of the Hawk, and then, which I know was their sophomore, like,
0: release. Right, and copies. that one was really good. And, and it that, seems but, like it's been a while since that release, though. Yeah,
1: I think the Rose EP was a good way to kind of, you know, satiate fans between right. releases. I think EPs in general are a great way to kind of keep your fans happy with new content. Oh, yeah. I've listened to so
0: many EPs this year. I was like, when did this start becoming a thing? I was like, I've listened to way more EPs than usual, and it's only September.
1: (laughs) I feel like it's kind of uh, not instant gratification. That's not the term I'm looking for, but it's kind of just like a good way to get satisfaction and something from a band between their releases. And also, it's kind of just like, it's like a bite-sized album. That's kind of how I like to think of EPs sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, when you have, you know, three or four tracks and it's a really good way to, to get a taste for a band. Like, I think bands who put out full-length albums first thing, I don't think that's always the best move. I think testing the waters with EPs and singles is always the way to go. And kind of keeping that up and kind of showing how your, sh- how your sound is going to shift, you know, with these
0: three or four-song EPs, I think
1: that's a really smart move.
0: Yeah, and I feel like EPs don't necessarily have to flow as well as you kind of want a full-length album to. You could have three or four songs that have different styles on them, and people are like, all right, it's an EP. They're trying to see what they want to do next, and then you expect the LP that follows to be a little more thought out and flow better as far as the album as a whole goes.
1: Yeah, it's like a sampling of sounds, and then you get to get – the LP and see how everything works as a whole so I think I think it's it it shows a really good progression of your sound and also helps you as an artist kind of figure out what your audience is most receptive to
0: yeah and I think the biggest surprise for this Friday is Hawthorne Heights releasing Hurt it's I believe it's eight or nine songs so it's kind of like that in between of an EP and the no man's land land. yeah because when you think EP you never really think of more than six songs really Yeah, but then an LP is at least ten for most albums, anyway. So this one's just like right in that middle spot. Are they
1: calling it an EP? I didn't see that. See, that's the thing is, like sometimes I'll find you know someone on Bandcamp or whatever, and it's an eight-track release, and I don't know what to call it. I'm just like, oh, this release called you know X, Y, and Z. I don't know if it's an EP or an LP, but I'm just like, it's music. Listen to
0: it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I didn't see it like strictly called one or the other so it's, a, it's out there it's music. yes it's coming out i feel like they haven't when was the last time they released something
1: was it the i don't yeah. know if they had a release for this but they did the tour for um the silence of black and white and it was yes like, and then they released
0: yeah they released the acoustic version of that but they haven't i don't think they've had anything like new original material and in, now we have this while.
1: LP EP Limbo release coming out to satisfy us.
0: Yeah, I recall one single being released, and I know I listened to it, but I don't remember it. We're going to find out. (laughs) We're going to find out. So I'll have to go go back and listen to that before the release this Friday. So do you want to move on to the Holux article we have? I would love to.
1: Yeah, so like I said before, I sometimes, you know, find bands on Bandcamp and whatever, and if you are able to download the music, most of the time, the the website will prompt you to enter e- your email address. And that's where the where... Wow, I can't talk today. Yeah. That's where they will send the download link to. Or if there's a smaller group of bands, they'll have you just click the link right through Bandcamp directly, no problem, no information given, whatever. And I think that's not a great move. You definitely want to have your fans' emails. And that's what this article from Holix directly addresses. And it's entitled um, Email Will Outlive Social Media. So pretty self-explanatory. I work for a digital marketing company. And one thing that as a whole, we're all just trying to be aware of new apps and new social you know, channels and stuff to kind of make our clients stand out in terms of how they um, take advantage of being online and their digital presences so when everyone's like oh what's the next big thing how should i how should i do this how should i do that like in terms of twitter facebook instagram vine whatever it's it all boils down to email because you can't really have most of those accounts without an email i think snapchat you can just sign up with if i remember correctly i honestly don't yeah i don't
0: remember if i put my email for that
1: I think it's linked somewhere. I might, I might be thinking of Yik Yak, which is definitely more of like, you know, a high school, college kid app, not really social media. right? Like or like Periscope,
0: about. where you sign up with your Twitter. Like, yeah, now. but you still had to have
1: your email linked with your Twitter. So right. in a your way, you're still connected. So email is just the way to go. And they talk about some some statistics. So according to Arapout from – what <laughs> is up with my time? Ta- I can't. I'm sorry, y'all. I am sorry you all According to this report from the, this one I know I'm not going to say right, Radicati. Radicati? Radicati? Let's go with that. It sounds like something fancy. Uh, There are three times more email accounts than Twitter and Facebook accounts combined, which shouldn't come as a shock to anybody. Like, a lot of people are on Facebook. But not everyone's on Facebook. A lot of people are on Twitter. Not everyone's on Twitter. Right. And all
0: those people need to have emails to sign up for those. So at least everyone with a Twitter and Facebook will also have an email account.
1: You know they have to have an email. So instead of, you know, begging people to like you on Facebook when a large majority of those people you're talking to might not have a Twitter or they might not have a Facebook, you know, it's just if you're at a show and you're telling everyone to go like you on Facebook. So many people in there probably aren't on Facebook for one reason or another, but I'm pretty sure that at least 99% of those people have an email address. Right. So if you aren't taking advantage of that, you're missing out, dude. Like, what are you doing? You definitely need to have that solid connection. You know, a lot of people try to connect through Facebook, but now Facebook is charging you to see, to have your content seen by all the people who liked your page.
0: Yeah. Which seems a little backwards and a little greedy, but... I have to make money somehow.
1: Yeah. And on Twitter, you know, you can keep posting, you can keep getting people to follow you. You can, you know, go if you want down the route of buying followers, which is kind of a silly idea anyway, because just because you buy followers, quote unquote, um, and your numbers go up, it doesn't mean people are always engaging with content.
0: So it's just, it's... You don't win. Yeah, you could get a bunch of spam bots following you and it won't help you at all. It won't. But there are things like MailChimp is a really great tool for email lists. Mm -hmm. Um, I use that for my record label. And I tend to try and email the people first and be like, hey, can I put you on this list instead of just putting them on there? But sometimes you get, you know, the info at emails to send press releases to. So you kind of can't do much about that. Mm-hmm. But MailChimp also sponsors a ton of podcasts, so it's becoming increasingly popular. I don't know if you listen to the Serial podcast. I know of it. Everyone's told me to listen to it. My sister's been trying to get me to listen to that for a Yeah, they had this hilarious MailChimp ad where it was a bunch of people trying to say MailChimp, <laughs> but they kept mispronouncing it. <laughs> I think uh, one little girl called it like mail kimp, close enough, (laughs) and that became like a huge thing. And you can use them to start an email list. You can use them to send press releases out, newsletters, anything you want to email. Yeah, and I believe it's free for up to like ten thousand emails or something ridiculous like that.
1: It's free up to, like, a really large, surprising number. you think it'd be, like, oh, free for, like, 20 email addresses. Right. But it's, like, a large number, and I think yeah. so many people just aren't taking advantage of so it. it any is so any small easy to, to
0: medium-sized band should be looking at something like MailChimp and have on their website a little place where you can sign up for their newsletter.
1: Mm-hmm. They and also then- talk
0: about, in the article, um if you're trying to get your Twitter and Facebook
1: followers to enter the email addresses, because you know that in general, like your content isn't going to be seen by everybody. And even if they do see it, what are the chances they're going to click through and enter their email address? Right. So it's really important to kind of get started on this right away. Instead of saying, uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, whatever um, say, Hey, at our merch table, you can sign up for our mailing list and you'll get a free download of a new song or, you know, some free stickers incentive. or something yeah. that they can Some give you right away. Yeah. Because you want to start with the mailing list and like, if you include the Facebook and Twitter links in your newsletter or whatever, like then they can go from there if they want to. But you'll know that even if they have a deactivated Facebook, even if they don't use Twitter any, anymore, or they don't care to follow you on Instagram. Like, you know, you have that connection, especially cause like if they don't see your Facebook post or whatever, even if they've liked your page, this has happened to me a bunch. I'll get, emails regarding tour dates and tour announcements before i see it on facebook twitter is another story i feel like people are kind of more they're more it's it's more of a breaking news scenario on twitter but i get emails from like bands in town or just general press releases before i'll see it on facebook sometimes
0: yeah and going back to Bandcamp real quick this actually happened to me the other week when ace enders kind of dropped a surprise album
1: Mm hmm.
0: Bandcamp emailed me. And that's the only reason I knew it even came out. And, yeah, I and they said, oh, by the way, a new release from this artist. Right. Or um, for labels, you can get them from label accounts. And it's like any time they release something new, it doesn't have to be just from the artist. Yeah. Whose music you bought. And I think that's really clever because they, what they do is they ask for your email in order to send you the download link. Mm-hmm. I believe this is only if you actually purchase the music, not necessarily for the pay-what-you-want stuff.
1: No, it's like that for name-your-own-price as well. Because you put what you oh, do. Okay. Is, if you, even if it's free
0: or name-your-own-price,
1: if it's free, you just, it says, hey, give us your email and we'll send you a free download. If right. it's uh, pay-what-you-want, you just put in... You know, if you want to put in $0, then it doesn't ask you for your information and credit card and stuff, but it still asks you for your email. And that's like the most permanent digital mailbox anyone's ever going to have. You know, it's just it's the best way to contact them because that email account is how is how you're going to reach them basically from here on out. No matter what social media trends happen, if your Facebook page gets deleted, if your Twitter gets hacked, you're still going to have those emails and those direct Connections to your fans,
0: yeah, and that's not something that Bandcamp will charge you extra for. It just no. comes with using the service. Which it is blows great.
1: my mind when I go to download something, even it's free or name your own price, and it just like it's convenient for me. You know, I don't have to do the four extra clicks to get to my mailbox, which isn't a big deal to me. Right. But they're not. I'm not going to be able to get emails from them about upcoming stuff. Say they come to you know LA and I didn't know about it. That that could be a missed ticket sale and a missed t-shirt and a missed opportunity on so many levels.
0: Yeah. So did you want to talk about this second quote from the article that we have here? Um, I think I kind of did. I think it's just like... like the I was whole trying... buying followers situation yeah, instead of... Yeah, so
1: if you... Okay, so like I said, I work with digital marketing and I do... Basically what I do is getting press, like getting interviews on online outlets and magazines and stuff as well as tour press for any clients who are on the road and then social media. So I run like a, a solid number of social media accounts. Um, most of our clients have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if they don't, we highly, highly recommend it. And like I do their messaging. I write out what goes up on their posts, and I write down to the last emoji. Like we go, we comb through it. And so if you buy Twitter followers, And then, so you buy 10,000 Twitter followers. And then you post, hey guys, you should go like me on Facebook. And you post your Facebook link, and no one goes to like your Facebook. You know why. You know it's because, first of all, you had to buy fake Twitter followers, so they aren't real people. Right. Also, trying to get people who, even if they're actual, legitimate, real people, trying to get them to follow you onto another link and trying to get them to input more information. I know it doesn't seem like a lot to you as you're signing up and you're being like, oh, all they have to do is put in their email and click a link. But like, people are lazy. I'm lazy as fuck. Like, how many times have I come across a link being like, oh, you can get XYZ if you just, you know, sign in with Facebook or vote for me in this contest by signing in with Facebook? And I'm like, please don't make me link my Facebook to this shit. Right. So email is kind of like the clean, direct, consistent connection
0: that you have to your fans, and if you don't take advantage of that, like I said before, you're missing out. Yeah, and there's a higher chance that if something goes directly to someone's inbox that they'll actually see it, mm-hmm. even if it's not right away. They'll see it at some point, point. and what I like about MailChimp is that you can add in your social media at the bottom yeah. along with your website,
1: mm-hmm. so
0: you could link to your new release in the actual newsletter or your new song, you can even embed stuff into the newsletter. It's so and then easy at the to make bottom, a newsletter on there. they just I'm have the it. little buttons for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You could put however many of them they have. You can put them all down there if you have accounts on all of them. So it's really useful for that. Yeah. Like I said, like,
1: four times, it's so easy to make a newsletter on MailChimp, and it's just – And it's free. And it's free! It's zero dollars! It's fantastic! So, if you take advantage of this super, super easy way to connect with your fans, like I keep saying, it's definitely better for you in the long run. And it'll be easier for you to get them to go from your newsletter link to liking you on Facebook, following you on Twitter, whatever, um, as opposed to getting your Facebook fans to sign up, or your fake Twitter followers to sign up for an emailing list, so... Just, just some smart strategic thinking there and I definitely agreed with this article because no matter what happens whether Facebook becomes the next MySpace who knows um you're still going to have those email accounts
0: exactly and this is really good for small to medium sized bands especially because that 10,000 mm-hmm. or 20,000 limit whatever it is it'll take you a while to hit that number before you'd even have to start paying for the service
1: and hopefully by the time you have you know. 9,999 emails on your emailing list, you're making at least some sort of, of income so you could pay for that that yeah. small upgrade, which will be totally worth it. Exactly. Awesome. All right. Well, let's move on along into our influential album feature. This week we had Deanna pick an album and I'll let her
0: take it from here. Yes, yeah, so I went ahead and picked London Calling by The Clash, which, fun fact... I was born the same day this came out. Oh my it gosh. came out December 14th, 1979, so not the same exact day, obviously, but the same day many years later. That's actually kind of fucking amazing, honestly. Yeah, I, I remember I noticed that a while ago and I was like, oh, maybe that's why I like this album so much. That's an eerie connection.
1: So obviously you didn't hear it because you weren't born yet on its right. release day. but when did you first hear the
0: album? Oh, goodness. Um I don't know when I first heard the album in full, but "London Calling" and so- a song like "Train in Vain" those are two of the more popular songs. Mm-hmm. on the London album. Calling's really iconic. Like you hear that opening riff, and like you know what it is. Yeah, and you see that album cover, which mm-hmm. is actually a ripoff of an Elvis Presley cover. If oh yeah, yeah, if you yeah, guys we, did not know that. This. Yes, and those two songs tend to get played on the radio every once in a while. You know, um, here there's a station, Jack FM, it's 93.1, and they kind of just play whatever they want. But it tends to be a lot of, like, older rock kind of music. They'll play Queen, they'll play The Clash, they'll play some newer stuff once in a while. Like, they'll throw in some Green Day and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's actually a really good station if you're a rock fan. But I remember... I bought a used copy of the album, the CD, when I was in Philadelphia at Drexel. Um, I was at AKA Music with some friends, and I just saw it in the used bin for, like, I don't know, two bucks or something. And, you know, the jewel case was kind of cracked, but I opened it, looked at it, I was like, oh, I think I should finally get this. Because I had known the songs, but I didn't own them. And at this point, I wasn't... So absorbed into streaming music just yet, because Spotify was kind of like a new thing freshman year. Yeah, I remember signing up like that fall for Spotify, getting the invites and stuff. So yeah, because I think it finally came to the United States not Mm -hmm. too long ago. And then, so I listened to that. I put it on my computer, had the album, could listen to it whenever I wanted, and I was like, I really want this on vinyl, and. I don't remember exactly when it was, but I was home and I was at a record store because my record player had stopped working. So I had taken it in and they were going to look at it because it was a used one I had bought. And I ended up buying London Calling there because I saw they had the 2LP remastered edition. I believe it was like 30 bucks or something. Which, for two LPs, that's, that's really nice. not that's all a that bad. totally reasonable price, yeah. Yeah. My only complaint is that it's not a gatefold, so it's like the two albums are shoved into the one uh, thing. okay, got it. Which I find weird. I didn't realize anyone did that. I guess you save a little on the packaging cost. This doesn't sound safe for the records, though, if they're both in the same sleeve, right? Yeah, well, they still have their white jackets over both true, separately. true. True. So they're not getting scratched up anyway. Um, I hope not. <laughs> but yeah, so the first song on the album is London Calling. And it just so happens that the last one is Train in Vain, which I mentioned earlier. And those are my two favorite songs on the record. But then you have other songs like The Guns of Brixton. There's a song, it's called Coca-Cola with Ks instead of mm-hmm. Cs. <laughs> getting creative there. <laughs> And I mean, overall, it's 19 tracks, so you're getting a lot for one album. Mm-hmm. And even though they're a punk band, it's not like the songs were really, you know, those two-minute short songs. That they were normal-length songs, like three to four minutes. Yeah, that's for one most thing I them. noticed
1: for sure. Like the first, when I first, you know, took my first couple of spins through it, I, I'm a big fan of like early Green Day, like basically everything pre-American Idiot. Like I love American Idiot obviously, right. but everything, like, pre-American Idiot, like, that's stuff that was, like, my first kind of foray into punk music, and I definitely heard a lot of that in London Calling in the sense I was like, oh, like, I see where Green Day drew a lot of influence for their music, like, I, I hear that in this, in a way, and, but it was right. a really good variety of sound. Like, it wasn't just, like you said, like, those two-minute, like, fast punk songs, it, it really showcased, like, a lot of what they could do.
0: Yeah, the Clash... Would tend to mix in a lot of reggae kind of styles. Yep, I definitely heard that. Um, And I actually ended up doing a final paper on The Clash in my, I believe it was artist representation class. Nice. Um, So it was about them and their relation with their manager. But I read at least five books on The Clash, probably. Like I just borrowed a bunch from my friend. And I was like, all right, I'm going to read all of these and give them back to you and do this paper. And that kind of just opened my eyes to a lot of things I didn't know about the album. So it was kind of nice to like revisit it while I was working on that paper and kind of find out the story behind it and how it was recorded and that sort of thing, which I can't remember everything off the top <laughs> of my head. But they went through a phase where they had trouble finding you know, a bassist who would stay and then they finally found one, and I believe he's the one smashing his bass guitar on the cover. Of Ooh, the album. good choice.
1: Clearly, he clearly he was brought in for a good reason because that that's like a, a really iconic album artwork.
0: Yeah, awesome. and it's it's so funny that people know that better than they know the Elvis artwork because <laughs> it's like it says Elvis Presley in the same you know pink and green that it says London Calling. And that's kind of where they took the album cover from. It's
1: like the Defend Pop Punk logo. Like, so many people don't know that it came from, uh, uh, what's the band name? It's something Blood, I think. Like I don't know. It's like a hardcore band that was like Defend, Hardcore, Defend, whatever. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> and then Man Overboard did a rip off of that shirt, and then they just started a fucking revolution with that one logo. Yeah, went a little crazy with it. Just a little. So we kind of talked about this previously, talking about, you know, the tracks that you were familiar with and the ones that kind of um, uh, made you want to get the the CD, the Cracked Jewel Case, the $2 CD. Um, But what's your favorite song on the album?
0: Well, it's hard to choose between London Calling and Train in Vain, because they're both really great songs. And... Like I said, one opens the album and one closes it. And I think they both do that so well, respectively, that it makes it really hard for me to choose which one I like better.
1: I feel you. It's a good It's good that it's like the tracks that kind of bookend the album because right. it's strong. You start strong and you finish strong. I definitely felt that way about a ton of records. The most recent one I could think of is White Noise by Paris. Again, choosing the recent ones. I'm a scene kid. Forgive me. But it starts off really well, and it ends really well. I think the same thing for Broadside's Old Bones, which is another record I've definitely talked about on here. So I think it's kind of valid that you're torn between the start and the ending track, because that means they both did their job in as, like, you know, where they're placed in terms of track listing. That means right. they did their job really well.
0: And, I mean, I love songs throughout the middle of the album, too. But with 19 songs, it's kind of hard to just... Pick one that you really like when yeah. there's so many to choose from, and I don't really think there's any bad songs on the album. There might be a couple you'll skip once in a while, but the album runs, I believe, it's just over an hour, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. that's pretty long for a punk album. It is, especially for a punk album from 1979. Yeah, I was going to say, especially from like the 70s
1: and 80s, you'd think it'd be like again those two minute, like high octane. Crazy, crazy, crazy punk. Power chords the whole way through. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So I think the Clash really did a lot to kind of redefine what people thought of as punk at the time. And you kind of see the same thing, not as much, but with the Ramones, they didn't necessarily do everything as heavy and um, as fast as some punk bands would have. Although the Ramones do have a lot of songs that are around, like, the two-minute mark. But they also have very catchy songs for punk music. So both bands were pretty good at, like, writing those hooks and drawing people in and kind of making people think twice about what punk music was. So that was
1: their intent, or what
0: you think was their intended
1: goal with the album when they wrote it, you know, back in 1979 – Do you think that that is still the same message that the album holds today? Do you think it still kind of stands up in that sense?
0: I think it does. Um, It's definitely one of the more iconic punk albums, especially for that time. Um, I wrote a piece with Jesse Cannon not too long ago. We titled it schooling Zach Zarrillo on the clash because (laughs) he seems to not know a whole lot about them. And we obviously cover more than just London Calling. We kind of went through their discography and highlighted some sections of each one, where you should start, that sort of thing. Um, it was initially supposed to run on Property of Zach, but then as many listening know, Property of Zach is no more. So I uh-huh. talked to Zach. I was like, hey, is it cool You know, if I post this on my site? And he was fine with it, so I went ahead and did that. So you all can enjoy us schooling Zach Zarello on something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's definitely a punk album that stands up really well today. And even though they were a UK band, once they came over to the US, it's like the United States realized how big of a band they were going to be. And... It's their third album, so by then they were kind of already established and they had found their groove with what they wanted to do. So I think they were kind of heading away from the more punk punk music, if you know what I mean, and they were kind of like trying out different styles and mixing them in. It's an evolution to their band. Right. So, you know, you kind of get the reggae feel. You get some rockabilly in there. You even get some pop with some of the hooks and stuff, especially in London Calling. Like, that's an extremely memorable song. hmm But I feel like I'll just keep going on about the same few things. <laughs> well, <laughs> so basically, you think- if you have not listened to this album, please do. I don't know what you've been doing, but please do that. <laughs> well, I even listened to personally- it with my mom, and she was like, oh, I know quite a few of these songs. I was like, yeah. A lot of people do, <laughs> sort of thing. It's like you don't exactly realize it's the clash because you don't think of it as entirely punk music all the time.
1: Do you think you've kind of discovered anything new about the album? Like, obviously, this has been a legendary record for a number of decades, but has it since you first discovered? It, has it kind of evolved into anything new for you, or is it kind of just always been like? This is the clash. This record's great. I love this song. I love all of these songs, like type deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I first heard it, I didn't know all of the songs, but now that I've kind of had the chance to listen to it a lot more and get to know some of the non singles better, I really enjoy the album as a whole. And even though it's over an hour long, you know, once in a while, if an hour or if there's an hour long CD or something, you'll kind of get annoyed and be like, all right, I'll skip this song, skip this song. This album's a little too long. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that way when I listen to this album. Cause it's like, the songs are just long enough to keep oh, your attention every feeling. single time. The best.
1: it's great though. It's great that it's kind of stood up as like an album in its entirety, not just, you know, three or four songs out of 18 or 19, but all of them together as a whole.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a great album. And it's definitely a good place to start for anyone looking to get into The Clash or if they just haven't listened to them at all. I definitely recommend starting with London Calling and then kind of working your way around their other releases. Awesome. Well, let's dive into our listener question,
1: which is actually from Chris over at Modern Vinyl. Um, and he wants to know what we hope the podcast eventually becomes and what's our dream format. So,
0: Deanna, do you have a dream format for Misaligned? Well, I don't know if I have, like, one specific format that I want to follow every single episode. Because I know, especially with the Modern Vinyl podcast, they'll switch it up every episode. Like, they have these little games they play. And I'm not entirely sure I'd want to incorporate games, but I definitely want to have different areas of conversations that we can have so we can do you know we've done the issues with women in the scene in the previous three episodes this episode we kind of went a little more digital and we have the influential album feature so I kind of just want to find more things like that that we can talk about and uh, this way we can mix it up a bit instead of just keeping it the same exact format every time, because I don't want to really bore listeners with, all right, we're going to do the same thing as usual, here we go, another episode, and we're done. <laughs> I definitely like,
1: um, well, one thing that I wanted to get across to people who are interested in misaligned is, yes, this podcast was created with, like, the sole intention of, of wanting a music industry-based podcast that featured three females, like, all girls who run the world girls type stuff, which obviously I'm all about. But I definitely don't want to think that it's like, oh, we're only here to talk about feminism and, like, why boys are terrible and, like, bad members being weird. Like, I don't want that. That's not... I don't want to keep talking about, like, negative stuff like that all the time. I feel like, yeah, we did a really good job the past three episodes, not to toot our own horn or anything. Um, I think we did a good job, to, uh, you know, dissecting the discussion and kind of... Presenting these these topics from a female's point of view, I think that was great. But I agree that I kind of want to switch it up and make it interesting and keep you guys coming back to listen each week. And bringing up these whether they're current topics or longstanding issues, bringing them up with a realistic approach, I think that's just kind of the best way to go about it. I love the community. I know Deanna loves the community. I know uh, Caitlin loves the community. Like Everyone who's involved with Modern Vinyl basically loves the music community, and that's why we're all doing what we do. So the fact that I get to talk about these things so in-depth with you guys is really awesome because it's helping me understand, and I kind of get the same thing from other podcasts. So when it's a subject I'm not super familiar on or I've always wanted to learn more, but I don't really understand it, kind of hearing all these people talk it out, all these different viewpoints, all these opinions you never would have thought of. As long as we can get that across, that would... That's kind of my ultimate goal. I would love to do these fun games, like the the, um, regular Modern Vinyl podcast does, just because, like, that sounds, like, fun, but I'd love to get users involved, or users, listeners involved, (laughs) um, like, get you guys interacting with us, like, I want to talk to you, I want to have you guys ask questions, and I want to you know, talk it out and just keep it interesting and keep it approachable, you know?
0: Yeah, and I know for me I had been a guest on the Modern Vinyl podcast before I did this, so I kind of saw the way they did things. And I don't want this to basically be the female version of the Modern Vinyl podcast because I feel like We're not the we- female version of anything We're misaligned. Right, exactly. And I That's the only reason I made the comment about the games, because, you know, that's sort of their thing. And I don't want it to be like, oh, you guys are just doing the same thing as them. Why should we listen to both podcasts sort of thing? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if we can figure out something fun that's maybe not exactly what Modern Vinyl is doing with their podcast. Something that's unique to our show. Right. And um, Chris has been really helpful with coming up with ideas or he's like, hey, we haven't used this and we probably won't use this. So we're kind of tweaking the format as we go with these beginning episodes. And if all works out, we can keep switching it up and keep people interested. And as far as what the podcast eventually becomes, I kind of want it to be something where we can talk about Anything really, it doesn't necessarily have to just be music. Like, we can talk about things we're enjoying, movies, TV, whatever you know, pop culture sort of stuff. Yeah, that kind of goes together with music really well, but might not necessarily focus on music. Because personally, I read a ton of books, I read a ton of articles, I am obsessed with tech things. Like, I have so many things I could just go on and on about. And I think it would kind of be cool if each of us maybe incorporated something we enjoy and the three of us could kind of show our personalities a bit more outside of just the music scene. And I think ultimately that would be a fun podcast to be doing every two weeks or every week if that's what we end up doing.
1: I think it'd be cool. I definitely would love to have that bit of of personality shine through for all three of us, especially because I want like listeners to be able to pick up on that personality, and I wanted to kind of make it, um, make this more unique than oh, it's a music industry podcast, which is awesome. Like I obviously, clearly love music industry. and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you and and Caitlin do as well, right? Of course, but kind of just make it like friendly, like we're just talking among friends you're listening into a friendly conversation and we're talking about like we're just we're just shooting the shit basically like yeah whatever comes up that we think we can make a discussion out of and bring uh valid information and speak confidently about that's what i want to talk about and i have to admit when i first saw quit saw chris uh tweet this out and he said i saw all i saw was dream format and i thought that was like in terms of oh like MP3 cassettes, CD, like <laughs> a vinyl, so I wanted to, I don't want to tweet back like um I want a special awesome, uh super edition limited edition uh a vinyl. I want it to be dyed red with the blood of our enemies, and I want it to be like just awesome and available everywhere. And I was gonna say something like really jokey r- like that. So clearly sounds possible. Yeah, we could totally do that. I think that'd be great. I've seen glitter vinyl before. Why not actual? You know crazy blood vinyl
0: i hope you guys listen next week
1: i'm not insane i promise
0: (laughs) props from from dexter (laughs) all right before i scare everybody off should we dive into our recommendations definitely okay so i'm gonna go ahead and let you guys know what caitlin wanted to recommend this week even though she couldn't be here she wants you to watch every gordon ramsay show on hulu which will be linked to Basically, what I did was I searched Gordon Ramsay and put that link right in there for you. So you should be able to find all the TV series with Gordon Ramsay on Hulu. She also got a subscription to the Smithsonian Magazine, which that actually sounds pretty awesome. I'm going to have to check that out. So you guys probably should, too. Sounds fancy. So those were Caitlin's recommendations for the week. And we apologize that she cannot be here tonight. But for my recommendations, I have clearly been on a netflix kick (laughs) and i watched the first season of bloodline recently and it starts out a little slow but the end definitely makes the entire season worth it it's 13 episodes so won't take you too horribly long to get through it i took a week to get through it which most people are like what are you doing do you sleep i was like once in a while (laughs) and Netflix binge, came strong. (laughs) I know. I also finished House of Cards in a week, and that was three seasons. So getting a little crazy with the Netflix over here. Another recommendation I have is the Money Pits self-titled album. Um, So the band is two former Gatsby's American Dream members, which I never really listened to that band, but they used to be on Fearless, which is a record label I interned at two summers in a row. So I have their music somewhere. I just have to find it and check them out. But The Money Pit is great. Catchy music. You get the rock and the pop mixed all into one. And I literally cannot stop listening to this album. Every time I'm like, oh, I should listen to music, I just end up putting that on. And nice. it's just been that for like a week or two. Um, another recommendation I have is for sports fans – particularly NBA fans, since the season will be coming up here shortly. Preseason starts sometime in October. But Zach Lowe is a writer for Grantland, and he does weekly columns about the NBA, which are fantastic, especially in the season, You kind of want NBA news to read or listen to. He also has The Lowe Post, which is his podcast through Grantland and ESPN, Fantastic for your off season listening. And the final recommendation I have is Third Planet Festival, which is something my friend Ashley Kuhn is putting together for our friend Emily and her mom who were in the German Wings f- flight that on the German Wings flight that crashed in the French Alps. She's putting together a GoFundMe to raise money to put together a festival full of like emily's favorite bands and we're working right now to book the bands so anything you can do share the gofundme donate a buck or two anything you can do would really help and i will throw it over to ashley now
1: awesome well um i've been on a kick with like really old school paramore for some reason like their first two albums like um all we know is falling and riot i just I can't stop listening to those for some reason. I think my my inner, you know, middle schooler who first saw Hayley Williams' Red Hair and was like, I gotta be her. I just want to be here. Like, that's, that's starting to come out again at 21. So, just... But their albums do honestly stand up really, really well. Even in 2015, I'm like, wow, this is a fantastic record. Riot is just really something else. Um... Just a band that's doing really well. I'm sure you guys have heard of them, obviously. This is not a new band, but just someone I feel like is doing a lot of things right, so shout out to Paramore. Um, Two albums, Subliminal Criminals by Stray From The Path. Um, My favorite track is D-I-E-P-I-G. I -I I first heard it streaming on alt-press. It it was kind of pitched on alt-press as like a, oh, this is a response to all the all the front porch step stuff that's going on in our scene and it's just it just it spits venom, it's amazing um, Unity by Carousel Kings I'm a huge fan of like set your goals esque pop punk kind of like easy core pop punk um, and it's kind of hard to find that in 2015, I feel like it's the pop punk sometimes from up and coming bands, it can just be sometimes really watered down and flat it sounds like I'm describing old soda but same difference I think Unity is an amazing record. I fucking love it. Again, it's not like the newest album out there, but it's great. Listen to it, pop punk, do Posse jumps off your bed, whatever. And a shameless plug, I am helping Jesse Cannon with Off The Record, which is a podcast he and Zach Zarrillo started, I believe, last summer. They had, you know, 65 episodes. Zach has since stepped down from co-hosting, but Jesse's still um, hosting, and he's, it's, running strong it's a new format but it's still totally accessible you're going to learn so much jesse and all of our fantastic contributors get to talk to industry people in the field so we're catching bands at shows we're talking to publicists we're getting all these great things together a lot of awesome features i would love for you to tune in you can go to offtherecord.fm And I wore black lipstick last night. It was really cool. I think I scared people when I was getting in and out when I got home. And I recommend it. It's really fun. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's how I definitely wanted to end this episode.
0: Well, I have a couple quick announcements. So as you know from our listener question from Chris, we are starting to do those on the show now. So you can uh, hit us up on Twitter or email us any questions you have. Those links will be in the show notes, and we will start doing some one-on-one interviews with people in the industry, people who are writing about music, and most of them are people we know and we're friends with, but we're going to start posting those on the off weeks of our regular shows, likely after episode five, so you can expect some more episodes from us, And what will happen is myself, Ashley, or Caitlin will choose a person to interview, and it will just be one host and one person in the interview. And we're hoping that will kind of bring you some more new content. You can learn some things about some companies or websites that you may not have known before, and we're hoping it will – Just add that little something extra to the show on our off weeks. It's like the EPs to our LPs. Exactly.
1: Full circle.
0: (laughs) Boom. So thank you guys for listening to episode four of the Misaligned podcast. We hope you enjoy and come back for more.